Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and took off, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came upon him, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, treating them with oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him back to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Obadiah. We are reading verses 10 through 15. You can find it on page 858 in the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. For those joining us online, the words will appear on the screen. For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over your brother on the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah on the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted on the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their calamity. Calamity. You should not have joined in the gloating over Judah's disaster on the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods on the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the crossings to cut off his fugitives. You should not have handed over his survivors on the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Let us pray. 
We give thanks, O God, for your living word to us, and pray that once again you will send your spirit, that we might not only hear the message that you intend, but be strengthened to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, I heard the tale of a man who arrived at the pearly gates. Peter said to him, have you done anything of particular note in your life? And the new arrival said, well, I can think of one thing. Once he said, I happened upon a group of bikers who were harassing a young woman, and I told them to stop it, but they continued. And so I walked over to the largest, most tattooed biker. I slapped him in the face. I pushed over his bike. I pulled out the nose ring and threw it down on the ground and said, if you don't leave her alone, you're going to have to answer to me. Peter was impressed. When did this happen, he said. And the man replied, a few minutes ago. I thought of that tale, came back to me as I began working on the two biblical texts before us this morning. Neither one of them, of course, make any mention of bikers or imaginary depictions of heaven, and yet both of them do talk about bystanders. In one text, no one responds when help is needed, and in the other, only a single individual does so, and yet together, they bring a word to us. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Obadiah, marking another to be checked off in my books that heretofore have not been the basis for a sermon text. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, only 21 verses. And in order to hear it best, I want to take you back to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis. For as part of its narrative, at one point it tells of a woman named Rebekah who is married to Isaac, the son of Abraham. The narrative tells us that Rebekah had twin boys and that they were wrestling in utero and actually throughout their days. Early in the narrative, Jacob, the younger one, tricks Esau into handing over his birthright or a a pot of stew. And years later, with some help from his mother, Isaac manages to get the blessing from their father that was meant for Esau. Once that event becomes known to Esau, Jacob runs for his life, and the two are eventually reconciled. And yet, both of those men become the founder of what would be rival nations. Jacob, the namesake for Israel, and Esau for Edom. By the time of our reading in Obadiah, those were ancient history events for the prophet, and he instead had witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. Edom was the neighboring country, and his letter is addressed to them. As he says, For the slaughter and violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. 
on the day that you stood aside, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were like one of them. For Obadiah, the problem is not only that the people of Edom were bystanders who did not intervene, but as his words go on, it's clear that they gloated over the trouble of their neighbors, that they looted their homes. They even handed over some of these distant cousins to the invading power. Obadiah says that the day will come when all of that evil is undone as he says to them, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. Our New Testament recent lesson also talks about bystanders. It comes through a fictional tale spun by Jesus, known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. That story is one of Jesus' most familiar and beloved parables. And yet, when I look back over my records, I, I saw that in my career, I've only preached on it once and never at DPC. That might lead some of you to wonder what I've been doing all of these years. <laughs> and I think that would be an appropriate question. But so this morning, I'm going to have a twofer in which I complete two of the, the scenes or passages that have not really been part of my sermon. In this moment, Jesus is approached by a lawyer, an expert in the Jewish law, who wants to test him. He's really not interested in what Jesus is going to say, but he's asked Jesus, which of the commandments is the greatest? And as Jesus often does, he reverses the question. He says, well, what do you read in the law? What do you find there? And the man said, well, I'm supposed to love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus says, you've answered correct, correctly, do that, and you will live. That lawyer is not satisfied yet. He pushes things further in order to justify himself, make himself look better. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? It is then that Jesus tells that familiar story. The man who is traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho is overcome by robbers who beat him and leave him half dead on the side of the road. A priest happens along, maybe having just finished his duty at the temple in Jerusalem. When he sees this injured man, he passes to the other side of the road and keeps going. A few minutes later, a Levite, an assistant in the temple, does exactly the same thing. For the initial audience, they would have expected Jesus then to have a third character who would have been a Jewish layperson, but that's not what Jesus does. As he continues the story by saying, but a Samaritan. Now, to Christian ears, when we read about Samaritans, we could mistakenly conclude that they're just another group within Judaism. There's a lot they have in common. They believe in the one true God. They view the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, as God's word to them. They revere Moses as the great servant of God. And they even observe some of the Jewish festivals, most notably Passover. And yet the two are not identical. For Samaritans did not view any other part of the Old Testament as authoritative upon them. 
They also did not worship in Jerusalem, choosing another spot, Mount Gerizim, to offer their sacrifices. And those distinctions could seem small to us, but they create a rift between the Samaritans and the Jews. It grew with some incidents that happened between the two, and it reached the place where a scholar of that era said it was not uncommon in the synagogue for Samaritans to be cursed and for God to pray that Samaritans would not experience eternal life. It was in that culture that Jesus continues his story. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near and was moved with pity. He, not, he stops, he picks up the injured man, he treats him with standard medical care of the day, puts him on his own animal, and takes him to an inn so that he can watch over him during the night. And the next day, as he is preparing to leave, he goes to the innkeeper, gives him some money, and says, continue to care for this man, and if you incur other expenses, I will come back and make it right with you. And it's after finishing that story that Jesus turns back to his questioner and says, which one do you think was the neighbor? And this expert in the Jewish law can't even utter the name Samaritan, and so instead, he says, the one who showed him mercy. And it is then that Jesus concludes, go and do likewise. Obadiah tells of an entire nation of bystanders that didn't do anything to help. Jesus tells of this one man as part of one story and yet that narrative has entered our popular culture. To this day, we will refer to someone who helps an individual in need in any kind of ways as being a good Samaritan. There are also so-called good Samaritan laws on the books that protect someone in that kind of circumstance who tries to help an individual in need if things go wrong, protecting them from civil liability. Now, the laws will vary from state to state, but, but in general, if the person is doing what would be reasonably expected in that moment and isn't the source of the injury of the person that he is helping, they cannot be held liable. Now, the Samaritan in Jesus' parable matched those criteria as well, but Jesus wasn't talking about liability. He was talking about faith. And so he concluded by saying to that man, go and do likewise. That's the word that comes to us as well. And I would suspect that if your response is like mine, our ability to do that is mixed at best. And sometimes the situation that is before us is confusing and we're not really sure what might be of help. Sometimes we know the two parties involved all too well and the nature of their relationship and don't want to somehow get in the middle. And sometimes we're just too focused on the clock. We know what's next on our schedule and so we're not going to stop to help. Each of us have times when we are bystanders too. And the way we respond to those moments 
is decidedly mixed. Nearly 25 years ago, my family and I were in Chicago for a few days. The occasion was my graduation from McCormick Theological Seminary, where I was to receive my Doctor of Ministry degree. My mother went along with us on the trip, and we had a great time exploring the sights of the city. It was after commencement that we were driving down Lakeshore Drive, and I took the exit, and I think there was another stoplight immediately there, and off to the side, there was a car with its flashers on. And a man, I rolled down my window, and the man said, hey, mister, I'm in a real bind. I'm out of gas, and I don't have any money. Could you give me a dollar? Even his request tells you how long ago this was. <laughs> but in that moment, I hesitated. I've often struggled in those moments to know how best to respond, and I had my family in the car with me too. And as I was thinking about my reaction, a car behind me blew its horn because I was blocking the only way off the exit. And that was enough for me as I said to the man, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He threw his hands up in disgust, and we drove on. Our car was very silent for the next few blocks as I pondered what I had not done. I certainly had the money to help him. On the back seat of my car right then was a diploma, an advanced degree in ministry, no less. And yet, I had not chosen to help. My silent beratement suddenly became public when our then 10-year-old son said, Dad, why didn't you help him? I I'm wondering the same thing, I said to him. Michael went on and said, well, if I'd had my hundred pennies, I would have given it to him. If I'd known we were going to meet someone and help, I would have brought my wallet today. And I can tell you, I can still feel the guilt that washed over me in that particular moment and would confess that that might be the reason that I also tell you that the next day he spent those 100 pennies and a few more to, bu to buy a book called Amazing Crocodiles and Other Reptiles. <laughs> Yet on that day, it was our son who was ready to help and not his preacher or father. As for me, I was that hesitant onlooker that Obadiah and Jesus had both named. The prophet was clear in his dismay about the actions of that neighboring country. Jesus actually didn't make any comment about the actions of the priest or the Levite and instead let the comparison with the Samaritan say all that he needed to say. And yet together, both of those passages reveal that part of our life as people of faith is to respond when we see need. We certainly can't do it in every occasion, nor should we even try. And sometimes we simply aren't ready. We don't know that particular need is going to come up. And yet I hear both of those voices from our faith past proclaim that what we can do still is to get ready 
to keep growing in our understanding of God's call upon our lives so that when the moment comes, we can respond. Philip Halley once was a professor at Wesleyan University in Connecticut. He was professor of philosophy. And part of what he liked to study was how it was that people came about to make ethical decisions. And it was in the early 1970s that he learned of this small French village named Le Chabon that during World War II, during the time when the Nazis occupied France, that the people of this village hid Jews, something that didn't happen with all of their neighbors, too. So 40 years after the fact, Halley wanted to learn what it was that had caused these people to take that courageous stand. And so he went back there and he interviewed villagers who had lived through that chapter in history. What he discovered was that none of them would be described as a hero in the way that we would typically use that term. None of them, he he felt, were particularly aware of the larger picture of what was happening all around Europe at that time. And instead, he decided that what had united them, what had enabled them to act in their moment, was their week-after-week worship in their small church and the sermons of their pastor, a man named Andre Trukme. Halley wrote this. The sermons did not propose a neat blueprint for fighting hatred with love. They were not attempts to tell the world or the people of Le Chaban exactly how to overcome Hitler's evil with love. In those last years of the 1930s, the sermons instead said, work and look hard for ways, for opportunities to make little moves against destructiveness. The sermons did not tell what those moves should be. They said only that an imitator of Christ must somehow make such moves when the occasion arises. Over time, the people of that congregation discovered what they should do. And when the Nazis first came to town, they quietly did the right thing. One woman, when the Nazis came to their home, faked a heart attack as they searched her home. And afterwards, she said to Hallie, Pastor always taught us that there comes a time in every life when a person is asked to do something for Jesus. When our time came, we knew what to do. On this day, we pray that the same spirit of discernment and courage might enable us to be ready when our moment comes. And that when it arrives, led by God, we will respond in ways that demonstrate how we understand that we are not to be bystanders still. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for those glimpses that we have in our journeys of individuals who, in fact, take the steps that you desire. 
And we give thanks for those moments when in our own feeble and frail deeds, we are able to do the same. Help us to grow in recognizing those moments that you have placed before us and trusting that you have, in fact, equipped us to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.